two million dollar contract. I'm a rookie playing somewhere to three, four hundred million dollar contracts plus endorsements. What is it that they want to do? And when you talk about like the career after, do they want to start investing in other companies? Do they want to do board service? Do they want to do broadcasting and all this other stuff? And again, I think with that, it, it gives them the flexibility to really dive into their passion and not chasing the lifestyle, but them making the lifestyle work for them. I'm Roberto, engineer turned PGA Tour player turned businessman. And I'm Dan, businessman on the weekdays and average golfer on the weekends. On the Course Record Show, we talk to some of the smartest people in the golf business and get the inside stories and strategies driving the business of golf forward. Welcome to the Course Record Show. Our guest today is Sandra Richards. Sandra is a managing director at Morgan Stanley, where she is head of the global sports and entertainment in the firm's wealth management division. She's received numerous awards and recognitions, most recently being named to Sports Business Journal's Game Changers, class of 2023. Sandra serves on the National Trustee Board of the Boys and Girls Club of America and is a published children's book author with Rice and Rocks a story celebrating culture, diversity, and family heritage. Born to Jamaican parents, Sandra grew up in Long Island, New York, and is a graduate of Seton Hall University. Sandra, welcome to the Course Record Show. Thanks so much for having me. So, Sandra, you lead a team of financial advisors, and they're part of an athlete or an entertainer's team. Who mm -hmm. else is, is part of that team along with the Morgan Stanley advisor? Like, how do you build that around an athlete? I mean, it, it it certainly varies depending on the athlete, their engagement on um, on the court and off the court um, business affairs they may have. So you may be engaging with a business manager if you have someone who's also a personality, um, someone who have brand endorsements. You could be dealing with um, a publicist, media, of course, their their um, their lawyers. So you it it really depends on who the person is, who the athlete is. Um, it could be multitudes of people, or it could be, you know, a small group of, you know, three to four people. Is it very different for an athlete versus an entertainer? Do you see those, do you see trends among those two? I would say probably back in the day, you probably would have seen like a, a, a um, maybe a difference. But I think today, again, athletes are brands entertainers are brands. And so I think you'll see some similarities similarities in terms of their team structure and people that are around them. Um, entertainers are getting endorsements just like um, just like uh, you know athletes are getting endorsements. I mean some entertainers even have their own shoe deal. Um, and so you you know there's there's a varying in terms of um, what it can be, but I think you'll start to see some similarities as of today. Yeah, that's such a good point. Pharrell is now the creative director of Louis Vuitton. So, exactly. Yeah. Who's the most undervalued member of that team? I mean, I think immediately to like accountants and lawyers. Um, but over your career, who have you under, what part of the team is always consistently undervalued? So I think I'll answer it this way. I think that what the, the athlete and the entertainer needs to do is make sure that they remain at the top of everything that's happening in the team, like they are the CEO. And so I think they undervalue um, that position. Oh, wow. In the position that they hold. 
in that they're the CEO, they're, it's their brand, you're controlling that, yes, you know, you hire the experts to do what they do for your team, but at the end of the day, they're executing on your vision, the legacy that you want to have, what are you playing for, and they're all supposed to play around that. So I think to, to remember that you are in control um, while you let the experts do what they do, um, I think that that's the piece that, um, and you're seeing a lot more and more of that as well. That's fascinating. And, and what's the, that's fascinating. I mean, in becoming your own CEO, when, when you or others tell clients to, to do that, what's the biggest challenge they face? What's the biggest leap they have to make to be effective as their own CEO? I, the biggest challenge I think is just managing the time to do that. I think it's just managing, again, playing on the field and being off the field and and, and staying abreast of what is going on and understand um, trends, things that's happening in their space. Like, you know, everybody's talking about AI. I'm not saying you have to be an AI expert, but you need to know a little something about it because it will affect you. I mean, so I think that there's things that when um, you're having, look, even for me, I keep alerts on my phone on certain topics that I want to make sure that I'm staying on top of. I'm not going to have the time to read every page of ESPN or every page of People Magazine or everything in between, but there are certain topics that I keep as an alert so I can stay on top of what's going on. So whatever is on the top of your mind or the trend that's happening in your space, you got to figure out for yourself how how best you need to consume that information to stay on top of your game. And, and speaking of staying alert on top of the key things, when you look at your portfolio of clients in the sports entertainment business, are there commonalities in terms of the main financial challenges they face? Like, are they are they very different than things I would face if I was a client of yours, or are they are they how different is it? So not that I'm trying to get into your wallet and see what's going on with your with your with your numbers, but I think it's very I, heavy, Sandra. Yeah. Trust me, very heavy. <laughs> but I think at the very basis of it, everybody has their why, regardless of what kind of what level you're at. You have your why, and you know what you want to play for and what is your end game. And it's just it you know our means of getting there is probably going to be very much so different. But I think the basis of where the similarities are is that everyone's asking that question of the why and you're trying to play out what that that question is going to be and how you're going to define what your legacy is going to be. Now, again, means are definitely different and, you know, access to probably get to your why quicker than others is a little different. But I think that that's the basis. And when you think about similarities, now there's a whole host of differences. And look, for us, no one's able to go to, you know, Spotrack and look up my contract and see how much I make, who my agent is, um, what my contract looks like, how much I had to pay in fines. My, my information is not public like theirs. So I think that there's a lot more um, public scrutiny on scrutiny or just eyeballs, not even scrutiny. I think it's more so just eyeballs on their every movement. And now that, and that's for certain for sports, but entertainers, I think that's a little bit, um, a little bit more hidden. But every time someone talks about the box office, they're equating how much this actor is actually going to make. So you have a ballpark figure, but with athletes, you can go and see their entire contract. The only thing you can't see is endorsements, um, unless that's you know they want to publicly put that out there. 
but I think that that's the, the, the difference is they're in the public eye and people want to look, everybody wants to know people's business. Um, and so they're in, in they, that's some people's job is to know that. And, and that's, that's, I think that's the hard thing for them to manage. Um, because then you have everybody that's in your pocket. Everybody wants to showcase an idea to you. I got the next big idea. I got the next big investment. And not really realizing, yes, you may have heard I got a $300 million contract, but I don't have $300 million in my hand right now. And, and, and so I think that, you know, because by the time you pay your taxes, your agent and all this other stuff that you need to take care of, um, yes, you still have a healthy amount of money where, but, um, you know, I think that that's um, the piece that really, I think, um, I feel for athletes when they're put in that situation. Well, I'm certainly guilty of having looked up Roberto's earnings from time to time when he was playing on the PGA <laughs> Tour. Uh, it didn't correspond to when he paid for dinner uh, those good years, but that's okay. We'll We'll leave that for another time. But it's it's fascinating because I mean a lot. I mean, barring the very select few athletes, maybe less so entertainers, but you can correct me on this. Athletes have a really small window to make their money, right? right? And that's an, a unique challenge, a very compressed window. I know there's app careers afterwards that can develop and broadcasting for some, et cetera. But but that's got to be a unique challenge, right? The compressed time frame to earn to then you got to not outlive that money, and that's right. you know that's that's very different than. A, traditional corporate career yeah absolutely that is certainly a, a difference um but again if i think you know it's just that if you think about it it's just the one phase of the career and so that that's the one phase and then the next phase they're on to you know something else um you know when you think about um you know some entertainers like i just saw um LL Cool J and he was doing, you know, Rock the Bells and I was talking to my nieces about it. They was like, oh, that's the guy from, from NCIS. I'm like, um, no, that's the guy that is actually the, the dude that, that did like, mama said, knock you out. Like they know, they have no idea about that, but that's the part of his career that they know. And so I think that again, if you want to look at people like him and others that, you know, their career started here but they had so many more iterations of it that's 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 nirvana that's ideal that's very impressive and you know it's funny you said about the about the why and then the the public nature of it not only does it tie into the the earnings and kind of maybe how you manage your money but it ties into the why because like i, I have these moments sometimes like when i played on the tour if i went out on a Thursday and I shot 66, I would get 50, 75 text messages from people. Great round, great round, great round. Now I'm in the business world. And if I do something great, maybe one or two people I work with might be like, hey, good work on that. And it's, no, that's no it. Cheer, you don't have a cheering squad anymore? No, no cheering squad. And <laughs> it's just, it really, it's a different source of motivation. It's a different source of validation for your work. And, you know, it ties into the why and it ties into you know, just how you manage your, your personal affairs. So it's, it's a very, it's of such a unique way to, to manage your career. And, and I think that for, and, and we talk about this in our financial education sessions, once you define what your why is, it's okay if, you know, you're, you're getting those 50, 100 text messages or you get one, 
like it, it's not going to shift anything for you because you're so laser focused right what you're on what you're doing and it and I, I find that when I and it just is people in general when you're focused and you have something that you're playing for and you know what you're doing all of that other stuff it's great stuff when you have people cheering you on but when the cheering section is, is quiet you can still plow through and still keep keep it moving because you know what you're playing for sure that's true now nobody i don't have that public at you know validation anymore but I, like i know what my why is right i have a family i have young girls i'm trying to raise and like so i don't play for the text messages not that i did then but it's uh it's it's very true and you're very eloquent about it it's, i wish honestly i had listened to your take on the why um, 5 10 15 years ago when i was just starting i think i would have done things a little bit differently but and, I think, and, I, and, and to that point i think that that's why we need to keep um having this conversation especially in in the age of nil um you know i'm quite sure 17 18 year olds or even 16 year olds because some people some players are able to get money in high school no one's talking about like what's your why but if you keep implanting that in their brain is keep feeding them that um, hopefully it doesn't wait till they're 30, 40 years old and they look up like, what am I going to do? Um, or what was I doing this whole time? And now I got to figure something out. You know, I wish somebody was pouring that into me too at a, at a young age. And at least if we keep saying it, at, at some point it will stick um, and hopefully sticks earlier than it does for most. And I mean, speaking of the why, I know financial literacy has been a hot topic these days in all walks of life. Mm-hmm. And I know Morgan Stanley's done a ton with within the guise of its global sports entertainment business to help financial literacy and education to uh, athletes earlier in their career build their wealth, et cetera. Can you shed more light on what that those efforts look like? Yes, and so um, those efforts can take on varying and it's tailored. Um, so you know, if you take the relationship that we've had with the Reese's Senior Bowl for now seven or eight nine years now, um, we would always talk to the leadership team. What do you think um, these young people need to hear the most? And one year, they wanted us to solely focus on on the power of saying no. And that was our whole presentation was focused on that. Um, Some people tell us that, you know, we just want the basics of budgeting, saving, investing. So we talked to the people. And so it's not just, do we have blanket presentations? Absolutely, we do. But we also had try to have that engagement to see who we're talking to and at what level. Is this the first time they're hearing something or this is like intermediate or are these people like pros, but they just need to keep, when you get to the pro level, do you need to have an elevated conversation around financial education? And so we, we do that from um, colleges and universities reaches, reaches out to, reach out to us. Um, we've had you know local programs, partnerships that we have, like with, again, with the Senior Bowl, the Hula Bowl, the Hoopal Classic. The, the great thing is we're seeing how so many people are finding um, financial education to be an important piece of the puzzle. And it's it they're not shying away from, they're looking for that resource. And, you know, um, one of the things that we also wanted to make sure is that people had access to this 24 seven. So it's not that you, you just come and attend our session, you're there with us for 45 minutes, we leave behind a playbook for you, um, which is which is great. But then we also launched um, a program 
with our E-Trade partners, um, a digital financial education program called Money in the Making. And that what that is, is again, a number of um, resources around financial education, but we also include NIL resources there where we talk about the do's and don'ts of NIL, um, um, personal branding, all of that that touches your financial education and your financial lifestyle will be on that site. And we're really, really excited about that. And by the way, Larry Fitzgerald is one of our financial education advocates for the program. As you can see, I have his jersey back there. Did you have to find him on a golf course to get him to do that? Because that's where he spends most of his days. <laughs> or, or a pickleball uh, a court. Um, that's true. No, I know he plays golf. no, but he's he is a, a really great partner and really, um, really passionate about financial education. And he even shares his own stories growing up. Um, around the topic. So we're really, really excited about that. That's great. I think that's a really worthy cause and the continuing ed, right? That money in the making will provide for people that reinforces what they might learn in a one-off or, or periodic seminar is going to be incredibly valuable. That's a great program. And then the fact that you're able to say, look, I got the savings things down. Let me really dive deep into the investing piece, or I really want to just, you know, take in all the NIL resources it's, it is not just us telling you, all of it is there, the menu is there, you choose what you wanna dive into and you could do it at any any time after practice, before practice, late at night, you can't sleep, it's, it's there. That's awesome. Shifting gears a little bit, maybe just a little bit higher level, um, Sandra, I'm sure in your senior position at Morgan Stanley, you you know get to meet with other leaders that are in different portfolios or oversee different kind of verticals, but you know, the changing landscape of wealth in America and in athletics. So I, you know, I see it as like sports earnings have shifted to making athletes, uh, they used to be rich and now they're really gaining generational wealth. And like, mm -hmm. I totally agree that the top line number is not the number that goes in the bank, but, you know, some of these contracts in, in the major sports are climbing into the two, three, $400 million range. How has that changed how you're advisors kind of manage client portfolios or just how sports and entertainment fits into the broader Morgan Stanley business. I just think it's a really seismic shift in the last, in the last few years. Yeah. You know, with our, our, our global sports and entertainment directors, they're having that conversation and figuring out again, it's the why it's, it's planning for that. Why? And again, whether it's you're at the, Two million dollar contract. I'm a rookie playing somewhere to three, four hundred million dollar contracts plus endorse endorsements. The bottom line is is kind of the same when you're talking about what are we playing for here? Because eventually the rookie is going to hopefully they play well. What hopefully they're going to you're going to be able to ride with them on that journey to get to that next level of the high paying contracts. Um, but when you think about um, what is it that they want to do and when you talk about like the career after are they going to start do they want to start investing in other uh, companies do they do they want to do board service do they want to do um, broadcasting and all this other stuff and again you have so many people who are going into varied directions um that is just so amazing because so much is accessible now i think that so much information is available as to what you what you can do um with with you what what you've been blessed to be able to get because of your you know your talents 
the world is kind of opened up to them. So it's really a matter of, again, going back to what is the plan? Where do I, where do I want to get to? So someone can say to you, you know what, I want, um, I want you to invest in, you know, a pickleball team. Is that something you want to do? Yes, you have the opportunity, the means to do it. Is that in your future? Is that what you want to do? Or you could say, no, I want to own a whole bunch of franchises that focus on, you know, selling tacos. And, but that's because that's my passion. Taco Tuesday is all me. That's where I want. And so I think with that, it, it gives them the flexibility to really dive into their passion and not chasing the lifestyle, but them making the lifestyle work for them. Yeah, it's interesting. And you, you brought it up. So I'll, I'll, I'll go there. You know, the equity stakes that are presented to athletes in teams and brands, like it's a hot trend, right? I mean, yep. the obvious example is in, on the entertainment side with Clooney and Casamigos, which is probably the, you know, Hall of Fame business investment there on the brands. But how, how do you and your directors kind of evaluate those deals for your clients? Like, I mean, you, you touched on it there, but going one level deeper, is it like, hey, follow your passion? Like, hey, I want to look at the P&L. Um, like, you know, those are significant investments. Like, as more and more of those have come across um, your table, have you developed a formula for evaluating those types of stakes? So I know our, our global sports entertainment directors and all of our advisors and their strategic partners are working in partnership with the team. So if someone says, you know, Roberto, I have an opportunity to you, for you to invest in this um, NFL team, you're saying, okay, what is the number that you need? So I think that's where the advisor comes in, okay. understanding what money's now not, now needs to be displaced and how is that going to take you off your financial plan? That's the, that's the realm. So they're not really more so evaluating the deal. They're just going to say, if you do this, here's what you're going to look like and it's going to take you longer to get here or a shorter time. If this, you know, this deal is going to pan out in the next five years or you're going to get paid out 10 years, so they're dealing more so from the financial picture and how that could shift their financial plan. I've had a few of those conversations myself, but that is a great framework to uh, to look at. And it's it's very real when you right when your directors put it that way. You know, you you had this plan. If you want to divert this, it's it makes it very real to uh, before you stroke that check. So that's right. And so again, so it's not them evaluating the deal. If someone wants to do it. Let me just show you the numbers and how this plays out. And if you said you want to be able to retire at a certain point, you want to be able to buy your mom a, a home and, and do X, Y, and Z, you want to put your, all, all of your, you know, your kids through college, again, many of them will have the means to be able to do all of it and not have any disruption, but some may, it, it, it could have a disruption. And so you have to make sure that you're just minding the numbers. And that's where our advisors definitely come in. Yeah. And the fascinating thing about athletes is that, you know, with compound interest and compound growth, these decisions that may seem small at the age of 25, 28, 30 years old are just massive when you come, when you think about an entire lifetime, right? Like, Hey, I'm going to put half a million bucks in something when I'm 24 years old, even if you're, even if you can afford it, it doesn't change your current today. Well, right that's $10 million when you're 65 years old or 70 years old. And so these small decisions are huge at an early stage of life, which is very different than, again, like Dan mentioned, the traditional kind of corporate um, or business career. And even when you're looking at, if you take it just like from not even the, 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 the equity side, but even looking at these marketing deals that you can get up front, 
um, especially if you're going as, as a young player and you need, you know, a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars. If you don't read the fine print, um, there was one contract that I think someone had sent my way that player unbeknownst to them signed a contract that got an upfront marketing deal, maybe two hundred thousand dollars, um, but didn't know the fine print said that if you make it to the next level, you will owe us 10 percent of your future earnings in your particular sport in perpetuity. And so when you and and so those are the kinds of things also. So you have those equity deals to look at, you look at marketing deals and what does that really mean and which is why the team is important um, in having, you know, a good financial advisor there, but also, you know, your your attorneys that are reading your contracts, the accountants, everybody has to work in, in synchrony, synchronicity to understand to make sure that you understand fully what you're getting yourself into. And that's why, again, it's important to get to these young people at an early age. And look, NIL is a great opportunity, but it certainly opened up for the, those kinds of things to happen earlier on in someone's career. And let's face it, you, you know, you start your career in a in a money situation, and, and you're in a you're in a tight situation, and it's on your brain. It's hard to focus on court. Now, I mean, look, and, and Roberto, you just think of it more like. If you always have money weighing on your head, how are you going to continue to perform and perform at your highest level because you're worried about um, something that you did that perceivably could be a mistake and now you're, you know, you're burdened with it. But when you have the team around you and that that's the importance of you're having your team and also being upfront with your team, your, your team can't help you if you don't put everything on the table. You don't put all the cards on the table. They cannot help you. And so that's another thing that we need people to remember is like, don't think just, oh, I'm just going to sign this thousand dollar deal on the side. It, it is not really going to matter. And then when you realize you signed away and I'm good, you're going to give 90% of everything you earn going forward to me. Let's keep going down the NIL track. Cause I mean, this has been fascinating to track in how much it's, it's changed things uh, in the, in the college athletic landscape. You mentioned a couple of potential cautionary tales of some of these deals that seem driven by folks maybe jumping into things um, without full information. How else has NIL changed the financial advisory landscape for athletes? Well, I think for NIL, what NIL has allowed for, and what you know, and that's a great question, is it had allowed for the financial advisors to have the conversation early on and being able to be engaged with the player early on into their career without jeopardizing eligibility and all that other all that other stuff. So I know there's a huge focus on how much money they can make, but there should be a bigger focus on the fact that these young people could now engage professionals to help them along the way. And I think that that's really, um, look, money's always a great thing that everyone wants to talk about, but the fact that they can engage a financial advisor, an accountant, an attorney early on in their career is a really big deal. And that, that's what I think NIL has allowed for them for, yes, with the money opportunity, but you now have the opportunity to build a team at an earlier stage. That's something I hadn't thought of. And that's fascinating. It's like training wheels, basically, right? right? That that $50,000 deal you get, guy, you can learn so much about taxes and investments and all. And, and if you make a mistake, it's a manageable mistake. That's an incredible point. I hadn't thought of that. And I would imagine a lot of college kids, I'll call them since I'm old enough, I think, to say that, 
maybe don't have that crisp sense of the why, or might have a, might have a sense that will evolve and change as life changes. What is it like advising folks who maybe don't have a clearly articulated why, but know that more money is better than less money, all else being equal? Um, as you can imagine, um, even just, you know, sometimes even talking to myself, I, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's a hard conversation because your, your mind is, you're, you're, you grew up in a sense where your mind and you've been trained one way. And now you have to retrain yourself to think a different way. And especially this is still all new. Um, it's, it's, it's not a difficult conversation because I think a lot, a lot of the players, um, I think we should give them a lot of credit that they, they understand that the opportunity is a great opportunity. It's just that understanding you need to have a team to help you um, figure that out. And, and sometimes, you know, you don't always want to hear uh, certain things that you want to hear what you want to hear. But you have to be in a place that, you know, what I'm about to hear is probably not the best thing but it's going to be that I want to hear right now, but it will be the best thing for me later on. So um, there's this uh, one uh, woman that I, I love. Her name is Bevy Smith, has a great TED talk, and she talks about it, it gets greater later. And I think that even if we get young people to think about, you know, investing, putting things away, saving, it, I know you probably want to get the latest uh, whatever kicks that are out there or even something from uh, the Louis Vuitton uh, collection from Pharrell. But that's, that's, that's gratification today. But what about tomorrow? Like, is, is, that, is that same gratification going to pass on tomorrow? Or can you delay that and have the entire collection two years from now? You know, so I, mean, I think that just having, getting, you know, to people think about delayed gratification um, is, is another mind shift and a mindset um, that, again, I wish that someone would have told me when I was younger. It's interesting. I think I purchased my first Louis Vuitton thing maybe three years ago, and I'm a grown woman. So you talk about great, it gets greater later. That took a long time to get the later, but it, it's great. I, I enjoy just... it, and I use it a lot. Yeah. I just took a bunch of things out of my cart on LouisVuitton.com after your speech there, Sandra. So, you know, hey. Pharrell's not going to be and happy listen, with you. But here's the other thing. What I also want to make sure is that we also don't put too much pressure on young people. Like they're working hard. Yeah. They're, you know, they're getting up every day. That practice is, it's rigorous. I actually watched a documentary on Phenom on the young lady from LSU and the work that she put in and like her dedication to be up two, three in the morning at the gym, you know, sometimes it's okay to go sell and buy yourself those kicks. You deserve it. But my thing is you deserve it in moderation is what, yeah. what I'm saying. Like be realistic. Um, but at the same time, like we should, we should encourage them to, to treat themselves. They're, they're working really, really hard. Um, but I'm not saying take your $100,000 and go buy a $90,000 jewelry piece. I'm not saying that at all. But you might want to go buy a, a $200 piece, a $300 piece. Maybe it's not flashy enough, but at least it gives you something, you know, to say, okay, I'm going to continue to work harder so I can get to that ultimate piece that I want. I mean, there's so many of these like documentaries, 30 for 30, et cetera, that then cover the other side of it, right? The athlete that had it all, threw it all away. 
And it's so sad, right? Because it's so, there's no reason why that should have been the case. Well, maybe there are reasons, but there, but it's, it's, it's so hard to see. And I, what, what encouraged me a lot about this conversation and where I see Morgan saying that they're sort of taking things is getting more, more, more preventative about that, about mm-hmm. much, much more effective uses of not just the capital aspect of it, but the, you mentioned in the very beginning of our conversation, legacy building, right, mm-hmm. is a much important way. Do you, do you, do you feel optimistic that we'll hear less and less of those stories in the future? I'm, I'm very optimistic, not only because of the work that we're doing, but there's so many people you can model your behavior on or people that you can look at to see who's doing such great things and, and even learn about them, like learn about there's Look, I think that the, the internet highway, social media, a lot of it has been able to give us all information. Now, it could be information overload, but you get a lot more information. You can learn and see what did LeBron and his team do? What did Steph Curry do? What did Magic Johnson do? What did, you know, um, Jamie Foxx, all of these great people, Kevin Hart, who I love. I mean, the guy is just amazing. At, I don't, he, it seems like he must have like 20 of himself duplicated because the guy's everywhere and he's doing everything and it's so spot on. But you think about um, you think about that and and saying these are people that you know even Tyra Banks of the world when you think about where she took the next top model and how it's franchised all over the place, you have so many people you can learn from and even they're they're even open about sharing you know their mistakes and what they've learned and things and so many of these documentaries are showing the other side it's like the good bad and the ugly that we have so much information on our hand that I'm hoping that it's no longer um, those headlines. And, and, and that's, I think, you know, I said this to somebody the other day, like, look, you want to be able to save everybody and, and realistically, you know, you're not gonna be able to do that, but you wanna be able to put your best foot forward and make yourself available to help these young people and help everyone who wants to help and put yourself in their way to be, to be helpful to them. This episode is brought to you by Holderness and Born. H&B just released their fall line, and it's loaded. They always bring it strong with polos and fresh colors, and there's plenty of those, but they really stepped it up on pants and layering for this season. There's a new five-pocket pant. There's fresh cords for cooler weather. Their first water-resistant jacket and some beautiful layering pieces. I ordered the Sullivan Pullover in Heathered Rye. It's like a caramel wheat color, and it's amazing. Check out all the new styles at HBGolf. Dot com. Well, we always have to shift it back to golf at some point here on the Course Record Show. Yeah. So I know Morgan Stanley is invested in golf. You know, the most public-facing would be Justin Rose, and obviously has it on the front of his hat. And uh, played with Justin a few times. He's a great ambassador. But talk about some of the other investments Morgan Stanley has made that you're proud of. I know National Links Trust, the LPGA. Um, there, there's a few places you guys have really invested in, in positive ways in the golf world. So it's it's great when um, we can work locally with our you know fifteen thousand financial advisors who are across um, the country who make sure that we're aware of these opportunities and, and bubble them up for us to take a look at. So again, you mentioned the LGPGA. We did something um, in supporting that in a local market in Ohio, um, and we've done that, and we've done that in some other markets, you know, over the years. Um, the National Links Trust um, that just came again bubbled up from a local opportunity was put in front of us, 
um, and we are looking at how we can be supportive. And I know that we're doing something um, there. You know, I have one of my colleagues um, who's very involved with First Tee and has gotten a lot of us in the firm involved with First Tee. I mean, I didn't go on the course, but I was, I was there as a speaker one year. Um, but I'm just always fascinated about what, you know, when you hear um, people talk about what the game of golf has done for them. And then you see these young girls talking about the game of golf and what it's doing for them and the opportunities that they're getting is, you know, it's, it's certainly, it's a game, but it's also a game of that you're getting a lot of lessons. And, and, and just from any sport, you, you gain a lot from the sport itself, from personal development, character, leadership, and you learn so much. And so Sometimes you can think like, well, they out golfing again. Well, and then I think about, I'm like, oh, they're learning leadership, strategy. And so if I put it in that case, I'm like, oh, okay, they're out there playing golf again. Yeah, if you started going through your 15,000 financial advisors, wealth advisors at Morgan Stanley and started firing them for playing golf, you'd have a very, <laughs> you'd thin your ranks pretty considerably is my guess. But I, I, I couldn't agree more. It's the first T is something that, um, I'm personally closely involved with, with my company cap tech and spend a lot of time supporting them. And it's uh, you know, it's leadership, it's life lessons through golf. It's not golf. So it's a, right. uh, it's a, it's a valiant, very valuable organization. And I know even for some of our advisors and even with our female uh, women advisors, we do a lot of sessions where um, it's like half day sessions and, and just learning about, you know, golf for those who are, um, want to play, want to get in, involved. We even create opportunities for, for that to happen too um, from an employee standpoint because we know it's also great for business. Yep. And so you want to be able to make sure that you're on an even playing field. Now, again, for me, I like hitting the ball long and that's it. Don't ask me to chip. Don't ask me to look <laughs> at the little hole and, and pay attention to try to get it in. No, I just want to see the ball hit long and then I walk away. That's so dance not, philosophy too. I'm not, I'm not, I don't care where it goes. Right. But I'll, I'll be in the cart cheering you on like, oh, look at that ball. <laughs> I'm the cart. That's me. I'll man the cart for you. That's awesome. Right now, we're going to shift the premium from the depth of conversation that you provided so far. And we're going to pick put a premium on speed instead. So we've got okay. some questions in a segment called tap-ins, more or less the first kind of idea that jumps in your mind. Are you ready? Is that tap-ins tap with, with the with the golf? Is that a golf term? Tap that's a, a golf yeah, term. Yeah. That's ah, when you... I knew it. It's that's when the right. ball's like right next right to the there. hole and basically yeah. anyone can tap them in. So like, I'll give you an example. Here's the first one. Favorite sporting event you've attended? Favorite sporting event I've attended any basketball game. Okay. Smartest athlete that you've met? Mm. Past the current Magic Johnson. That was Roberto fishing for a compliment shamelessly, I think, but that's okay. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't it think hurts. I'm an athlete. I, I barely <laughs> qualify as an athlete. Definitely Roberto not the smartest. So. There we go. There we go. <laughs> All right, Dan, you take the next couple. Most business savvy athlete you've met. Business savvy that I've met. Um, who I admire. Um, I can say LeBron. I, I've not met him, but I, I admire him. But also, I, I guess I should say Larry Fitzgerald because he's right here. And I, I have met him and I know him um, and certainly impressed about things that he, he's doing and I actually interviewed him for a program called Lessons in Leadership. So he's he's fascinating. Favorite sports team? Oh, come on. You're going to get me in trouble. 
Yes, we will. You have to have a favorite. Favorite sports team? I'm not, I can't do that. Uh, you grew up in Long Island. I'd figure you're, you know, New York teams. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah, no? anything in New York. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm down for New York. Concrete you have enough jungle where dreams are made of. That's right. You have enough teams out there that you can just say New York teams and you won't offend anyone. Okay, yeah. New York teams. That narrows it down to 19 or so. (laughs) What's the best investment you've made in yourself? Mm. Best investment I made in myself was uh, very, very early on um, therapy. Best investment I made in myself. Because I think I was running so hard trying to make sure that I stayed on top of my game that I realized I was burning myself out. Um, And there was reasons why I was doing it unconsciously, not knowing um, why. And I I just hit a point at one point that I needed to seek help and just have a conversation and talk things, talk things out. So that's probably the best investment I made in myself. Very cool. All right, Dan, you finished it off. Best piece of advice for a young person entering the professional world. Uh, stay hungry, always learn, but stay humble. Humility is, a, is probably the, one of the best characteristics that will ca- carry you throughout your career, no matter what career you choose. I love that. And it ties into your answer. You know, I know LeBron, is con- he's been sent humbled and hum- when he's always the best, but he is an impressive character because he's just lived in the limelight since he was 15, 16 years old. I don't think people understand the difficulty of that and how well he's done with it. So he's not like my favorite athlete ever, but I have a tremendous amount of respect for what he's done. And I think a lot of that is anchored in his humility. So pretty cool. Very, very cool. And I, and I will, I would say the other one that had, and I never certainly never got the, a chance to meet him, but the, his story and his legacy certainly has an impact on me and even doing what I do today is Jackie Robinson. I worked mm-hmm. at the Jackie Robinson Foundation before I joined Morgan Stanley and being able to be around his family and being a small part in the history of the Jackie Robinson Foundation for the five years that I was there in carrying on that legacy and understanding um, what it meant and the impact it had on not just other athletes, but everyone in the world. And even today, when I someone come in here and they see the jacket or, you know, know that I worked at a Jackie Robinson Foundation, everybody has a Jackie Robinson story. Everybody, whether it was passed down to them from their grandfather, their grandmother, or whomever, everyone has a Jackie Robinson story. And, and being there that his life and, and Rachel Robinson, who just celebrated 101 years old just last July, just past July um, 18th, she turned 101. Wow. And to be in their presence and her carrying on his legacy and their family, um, that was probably one of the most important um, people in my life that I never got to meet in mm. terms of an athlete. You think that's part of the reason why you're still affiliated to sports today? Absolutely, 1,000%. 1,000%. Very cool. Very cool. Sandra Richards, thank you so much for being on the Course Record Show. What you're doing at uh, Morgan Stanley is goes well beyond financial advice. It's um, it's really a great cause for a lot of young athletes and young people. And um, really appreciate your time. And if Dan or I can be of any help going forward, we'd love to stay in touch. And 
Thanks again. No, that would be great. Now I have to go out on the golf course. Dan, you play? I play, but our friend here is a lot better than I am. All right. So then, then Roberto, you got to take me and Dan out for, you know, a little lesson or something. Done. I love it. I love it. I'm probably going to recruit you for something with the first T. So um, we, I'd love to get you back out in front of that that um, organization. They're oh, awesome. awesome. But just know I like to hit long. <laughs> and now I could do the tap in if it's right there. I could tap. You got in. the tap in. Right. You, you, you made you made all your tap ins today. So. Yeah. <laughs> all right, everybody. Awesome. Catch you next time on the Course Record Show. 